Amen. Well, we drop in today in the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to grab them. Turn to chapter 6 if you haven't already. We're going to be looking at the last verses 10 through 20. If you're using a Bible in the seat back in front of you, it's page 920. And we're taking a break from Matthew. So if you're new here, our usual pattern is to walk through a book of the Bible. And so we're at the tail end of Matthew. So come back in the weeks to come and you'll hear messages on Matthew as we wrap it up. Our next message on Matthew is Golgotha. You won't want to miss that. It's going to be a special Sunday as we look forward to that. But today we're in Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 20. It was the theme of this year's VBS, which was a huge success. So let me just say, as the family minister who you have snatched out of, a, uh, of the secular world into ministry, thank you, Lord, for that calling. It was an amazing week. My first VBS to do, and 157 kids plus came through our doors, mostly our children in this room, but a lot of community kids, and they heard the gospel, praise God. We had over 90 volunteers from our church, that's members of Southside, stepping up to do a great and faithful work. And I'm so thankful for y'all. I know I've told you, and I'll say it again and again and again, thank you. What a joy it is to serve with you and alongside of you. So let's jump into Ephesians. If you're like me, you might enjoy watching the occasional war movie. Uh, I think of a few with some epic battle scenes, Braveheart, Gladiator, Lord of the Rings, It stirs the blood. And in all of these movies, before the penultimate battle, there's a scene or two where the main characters will be dressing for battle, right? They'll be getting on armor or the various garb that they need to, to go out into the fight and win, right? And why do they do this? Well, we'd all say it's necessary, right? This is not a, just a good idea. But if you go out into battle with shirt and gym shorts, It won't be good for you. It'd be foolhardy. And you've heard it said, dress for the occasion. Well, I think this morning, considering Paul's imagery at the end of Ephesians, he's telling the Ephesian church, know your occasion and dress appropriately. Know where God has put you and stand firm in the full armor of God. And so there's one main point to this sermon to get across this morning, and it's clothe yourself in the full armor of God, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Clothe yourself in the full armor of God, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Three subheadings under that. First, the reality of the spiritual battle. We have to know the fight we're in. Second, the need for spiritual armor. There is a need for armor. And thirdly, the armor is for missions. Why has God arrayed us in such fine clothing? So point one, the reality of the spiritual battle. Let's read it together again. Look at verse 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And Paul starts his exhortation as a reminder to the church of Ephesus who the real enemy is. I think every good soldier or you could say athlete uh, knows two things when he prepares himself. He knows 
what he's fighting for or what he's competing for, who's on his team, and he knows who his enemy is. He knows his opponent. I've never fought in battle, but I think the saying is true, and I've been on many sports teams, and I can tell you, it doesn't do you any good to not know who you're playing against. You got to know who's on your team and who is not. And to be effective in the battle or in the game, we need to know who we're fighting for and who the enemy is. Notice here, Paul does not point their attention to the people making the trouble or causing the divisions. He doesn't tell them, be strong so you can stand against the pagans of Ephesus or the Roman government or idol makers in Ephesus. No, he reminds them of the reality of the spiritual realm and the need to have eyes to see it for what it is. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, church, i.e. physical people. We wrestle with spiritual forces. If we want to be effective for the kingdom of God and to see Christ's rule spread throughout our city, our state, our nation, our world, we must understand the reality of the spiritual battle before us. And I think we moderns in the West, we're not accustomed to thinking this way, right? We're governed by imperialism, the scientific method. That's been the God of our age, the ultimate measure of reality, right? If you can't test it, see it, then it doesn't exist. If you don't see it, taste it, touch it, smell it, hear it, well, then I'm sorry it doesn't exist. It's not real. They say the material world is all we have. You're an atom in motion. You're just a collection of cells with no purpose and no meaning. But Christian, our worldview confesses something different, right? We're both flesh and spirit, body and soul. There's an immaterial part of you. It cannot be measured or weighed, but it is no less real. I'd even argue it's probably the most real thing about you. And so in this hyper-modernity, materialistic, reductionistic society, we have to think like Christians again, to train ourselves to perceive and discern spiritual realities around us. And I think this reality would have been fresh on the Ephesian church. Flip back with me to Acts chapter 19. In your reflection this afternoon, I encourage you to go read Acts 19 and 20 as it accounts the development of the Ephesus believers the resistance they faced, and the eventual progress of the gospel. In verse 11, it says, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs on aprons that had touched his skin were carried off away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and evil spirits came out of them. And I think we'll read that and gloss over it, but we have to see the reality of what's happening. The word of God is advancing in Ephesus against forces of evil that would oppose it. Evil spirits coming out of them. If you read on, it'll describe a scenario where seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish exorcist professional, was, they went out to go exorcise a demon from a man, and he said, yeah, I've, I know Jesus. The demon said this to the men, and I know Paul, but who are you? And he beat those men naked and afraid, right? Folks, those men were not clothed with the armor of God, as you will be. So the devil stripped them of both physical and spiritual clothes and left them helpless. The reality is, church, we have spiritual forces of darkness around us that are real. And they should be engaged with God's spiritual armor. And isn't it obvious? We're engaged in spiritual warfare. I don't think it takes a PhD in 
theology to know we're engaged in spiritual war. You can witness the pro-abortion lobbyists that would slaughter children in their womb, and it's not just a bad idea, it's evil. Or the LGBTQIA plus, 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 plus agenda that would castrate our children and mutilate our young. These aren't just bad ideas. These are lies from Satan. And I think it's important. We have to remember, Blake said this last week, these are ideologies we stand against, not people. People are swept up in bad ideology, terrible things. And we must stand firm with the gospel and with truth, not against them, We are tender-hearted. We are compassionate. We plead with all men, calling them to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus to lay down their pride, to lay down their rights, their very lives for the sake of Christ. And we do it because we were once spiritually broken as well. We are no better than anyone else. And so we plead with men, be reconciled to God. Go read Ephesians 2 if you doubt me. You were once dead in your sin. So we must know who our enemy is. Bottom line, church, let's wake up. Let's wake up to these spiritual realities. The battle is in front of us, and the church is called to fight, to be militant, not against each other, not against the brother down the street at a different church, not against flesh and blood, but to be united against the common enemy of the spirit of this age, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And remember, when you gather, saint, as the church of God in worship, it is spiritual warfare. By faith, prayer, hope, love, and singing with loud shouts of joy, we raise an offense against the very gates of hell where Christ said the church would prevail. When you gather here, it is more than just flesh and blood. So know who the enemy is. Second point, we need to be equipped for the battle. And uh, before we jump into the elements that we need to garb and don onto ourselves, I just want you to see that all of these elements are actually gospel truths, gospel transformation in the Christian life. As we walk through it, I think it'll be clear that this is a whole armor mentality. This is a have it or don't have it. It's not a, well, I'm going to pick up my sword today, but I'm going to leave my shield at home, or I'm going to make my shoes really tight and be evangelistic, but... No, this is all or nothing. It's a whole armor thing. And we're to take it up. Look with me in verse 14. Sorry, verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand on the evil day, and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints. Paul's saying here, therefore, in light of the spiritual battle around us, we need to take up this armor. And what's the first piece? The belt of truth. What truth? Flip back with me to Ephesians 1, chapter 13. We'll be bouncing around through Ephesians a lot this morning. Ephesians 1, 13. 
Notice what Paul says here. He's already laid a foundation for his final charge with the church of Ephesians. He says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The belt of truth Paul has in mind is analogous to the word. More specifically, the gospel. Belts help keep things together, right? They tighten, they bind together. The truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ is like a binding force that keeps us together. And like belts, they hold us up and support all we do. We preach a Christ who is crucified, buried, and raised in history. Folks, this actually happened. It's truth. You can take that check to the bank. It'll cash, right? You can bind that belt around your waist and it'll hold you up. This is the truth of God. And notice the breastplate of righteousness. Truth and righteousness. Turn over a page to chapter 4, verse 22. Paul exhorts the Ephesian church to put on the old self and put on the new. He says in verse 22, put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self, listen to this, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We're to put on righteousness and holiness. It's created after the likeness of God. Jesus Christ is the exact imprint of the nature of God, Hebrews tells us. This is Christ's righteousness, church. It's not your own. My own does nothing to protect me from enemy attacks. The devil often launches accusations at me. And brothers and sisters, if I'm dressed in the rags of my own righteousness, though I may call it a breastplate, it will do nothing to stop the enemy's accusations from piercing straight to my heart. And why is that? Because apart from Christ, on my own good standing, every accusation the devil launches at me is true. Everything he would say about me and my sin cuts right to me because I know he's right. And the only piece of armor that has the power to withstand those attacks is the righteousness of Christ. Our King knew no sin. He lived a perfect life that you should have lived. He died a death that you deserved. And when you're covered in Christ, the devil may hurl an accusation, but it cannot penetrate Christ. He has no accusations to give to Christ. And that's an imputed righteousness, church. It's applied to you. It's not something you earn. It's something you put on because it's been a gift. So do you have it? Are you equipped with God's righteousness that is yours by faith in Christ? But let's not stop there. Let's keep clothing ourselves, putting on this armor. In verse 15, he says, shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Paul, what peace? What are you talking about? Peace, Paul? You just told me we're in a spiritual battle, Paul. What peace is there? We're wrestling with spiritual forces. Peace? Paul, again, has already laid this foundation for the church. Flip over to Ephesians 2, 14. What peace could Paul be talking about? 
He says in verse 2.14, for he himself is our peace, Christ, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, there it is again, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, whereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Oh, Paul says you have shoes on your feet that are ready with the gospel of peace, this reconciling gospel that brings once enemies, friends, first to God and then to each other. And God has given you a ministry of reconciliation. See, Christ's kingdom is not a kingdom of this world. It means it, that just means it doesn't conquer in the same way a worldly kingdom would conquer by military force and strength. It conquers by making once enemies of God, now his friends. And binding and mending relationships together that we would previously think are impossible. So he says, go, make them like shoes on your feet, proclaim this gospel, preach it boldly. And then fourth piece, verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which is with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the shield of faith. Paul says, take up this shield, but it's important, I think, to define what faith is. Right? It's not something temporal. It's not something intrinsic to us. We don't believe in ourselves as Christians or our self-esteem or self-actualization, whatever that is. No, we hide ourselves behind the shield of faith, which is Christ. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. That is what our faith is built on. Jesus' blood and righteousness. Remember, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Hebrews 11.1 Though we have not seen him, we know he's real. And we can fix our eyes on Christ. Remember what verse 10 said at the beginning. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. That shield, friends, will shield us from many attacks. And he keeps going, right? Verse 17, the helmet of salvation. More could be said here, but this is the salvation that brings us peace, again, from God's wrath, from all of the judgment that is due to us. No, and it guards our heart and our mind in Christ Jesus, Philippians 4 says. And with that, we wield the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And I want you to notice here, and pause, that out of all the things God has given us in the Christian fight, this is the only offensive weapon. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, Hebrews 4.12 tells us, capable of cutting to the very heart of man. And when we boldly proclaim the word of God, we open the door for the spirit to do what only he is capable of doing. And that's cutting straight to the heart of the matter. Toppling idols of sin that we have erected in our hearts. 
This word is active and living and it prevails. You don't have time to turn there. We don't have that time. But Acts 19 again, at the very end of 19, somewhere in the middle, Acts 19.20, after all the teaching that Paul has done and evangelism and the spiritual warfare that's erupted, the epic battles with demon-possessed men, the burning of dark arts books, you can go read about it, over $6 million in books burned in Ephesus in the first century as they gave their lives to Christ, thwarted riots that would have killed Paul and many others, and he ends by saying, the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Wow. The word of the Lord. Not Paul, not the disciples. The word of the Lord continued to prevail and increase mightily. This word is a conquering word because it flows from the mouth of our conquering king. Isaiah 55, 11 says, So will my word be which goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the purpose for which I sent it. The Lord sends forth his word, church, and we can trust it. Final element that the Christian should clothe himself in is prayer. See verse 18. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Paul says, pray. And don't just pray sometimes. Don't just pray when it's needed or when the battle is particularly hot that day. You can feel the bullets whizzing by you and the devil's arrows are sharper than usual. Don't just pray then. You pray all the time. With all prayer and supplication. With all perseverance. Making supplication for all the saints. Our prayers are vital. Communication to the headquarters of heaven where the general stands ready to send reinforcements to the front lines and he is advancing his army of suffering saints on. So don't neglect the vital communication to the Lord in prayer. And so here stands church, a fully equipped man or woman of God. Notice the posture language in the first three verses. Paul uses the word stand like four times in this section. I think it's important. We should take heed, right? We should be people equipped and ready in a stance of strength. The truth of God is like a belt. The righteousness of Christ like body armor. The evangelistic readiness of the gospel of peace like shoes. Faith in Christ is our shield. Salvation of grace guarding our minds. Spirit-filled word of God like a sword cutting down idols and ripping through men to the very heart of who they are. That's you, saint. That's you, church. So do you have it? And as an aside, if you're not a Christian in this room, this armor is not for you. You don't get this armor by proxy and sitting in a chair or a pew on Sunday morning. No, you must be born again into the kingdom of light from the kingdom of darkness. So I ask you, if that's you today, repent from your sin. Turn and trust in Christ. He is ruling and reigning, and one day he will return to judge. But for now, he offers a gospel of peace. He offers to you a chance to call him Lord in this life and the life to come. So make no mistake, friend, every knee will bow and tongue confess. In heaven on earth and under the earth. So do not delay, but come to Christ while he may still be found. 
Third and final point this morning. The armor is for mission. Look with me at verse 19 and 20. Paul says, pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Friends, our general in command did not outfit his people in such fine array not to give us marching orders. No, Christ himself said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The gospel armor we are to clothe ourselves in church is for the purpose of proclaiming boldly this gospel message. You have been given a mission. The reason Paul gives this final charge to the Ephesian church is so that they'd know their enemy, they'd know how to dress, and they'd know what their mission is to endure in gospel faithfulness. The mission of God is to take this message of reconciliation to the ends of the earth. Do you believe that? Do you believe he will accomplish his mission? Do you believe God and what he says that his glory would cover the earth like the waters cover the sea and that he must reign until all his enemies are put under his feet, that he would never leave you or forsake you, that all authority has been given to Jesus? Do you believe this? And if so, that should give you boldness, confidence that he will do what he has set out to do. And by grace, he uses us. By grace. I wonder this morning, are you worried? The powers of this present darkness are too strong. The lies of the enemy too cunning. Are you anxious when you read the news? Are you tempted to shut yourself in as you survey the spiritual battlefield of this life? Maybe you're here today and you feel defeated. You've been a soldier saint for many years and you feel your armor is beaten, tattered, torn. You know you have this gospel armor, but you find you have no strength to fight. The devil has hurled accusation after accusation, and you feel weak. But Christian, if I can encourage you with anything this morning and leave you with anything, it's take heart. Turn with me to chapter 1, verse 18. As Paul again has laid a foundation for the Ephesian church to not trust in themselves. But as he prays for them, he says, I pray you would have eyes, the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? That what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ? when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. 
Paul is saying to the church, your fight against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, it's real. And it can feel exhausting. You have no more strength to fight. You're tempted to give up. You see no hope ahead of you. But he says, remember Christ. Remember, he was risen and not only that, ascended. And now Christ is above all rulers and all authorities and powers and dominions. This king is ruling and reigning now. So take heart, dear Christian, and be of good courage. The Lord goes before you and he fights for you. So we can rejoice in our suffering. We can count it all joy when we face trials. We can be content in loss because we serve the king who has already been exalted. He is seated above all our enemies. He has blazed, blazed a trail of glory and secured for us an inheritance with him. And so Christian, again, I ask, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Take up the whole armor of God the Lord calls you to do. Leave no piece of it behind. Don yourself in this great salvation which is yours in Christ Jesus. Remember who has gone before you. Remember him who died for you. Remember those who have soldiered on ahead of you. Our suffering Savior blazed a trail of glory for you to follow in. By faith, we follow in his train. Oh, I think Hebrews 11 and 12 are so relevant here. We don't have time to turn there. When we think about how to finish well, how to stay on course, to be on mission with God, O oh, Christian, look to Jesus, Hebrews 12 says, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, seated now at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. O oh, church. Brothers and sisters, do not grow faint-hearted. Look to Jesus. Be imitators of him. Ephesians 4 says, walk in love. Put on this full armor of God in Christ Jesus, our conquering king. He saw through the suffering. He saw through the battle to the joy that was set before him, to the throne room of heaven in which is gathered around him a multitude of people that none could count. And with a loud voice, you and I, with all the saints of history, will shout, worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Oh, what a happy day that will be, saint. What a glorious day that will be. But for now, put on that armor. Ready yourself for battle. Take heart and rejoice with loud shouts of triumph. One day we will shed this battle armor. One day in glory we will lay down shields of faith and breastplates of righteousness and be clothed, as Isaiah 61 said, in righteous robes, white, glorified and perfect. The Lord goes before us in this life. He is our defense. So I'll end with this, church. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who will be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave himself up for us all, how will we not also with him graciously give us all things? And who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised 
who is at the right hand of God and is indeed interceding for us. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, Paul says, I'm sure of this, that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Praise God.